And so we finally get to my hostel and all I have left is a $20 bill. And he's like, oh, I don't have change for a $20 bill. So we get back in his tuk-tuk, we drive around to the nearest convenience store and I'm just sitting in the tuk-tuk. He's like, I'm gonna go inside and get change. So I'm sitting there in the tuk-tuk and all of a sudden he kind of waves at me from the convenience store entrance. And he's like, they won't give you change for your $20 bill. I'm like, are you serious? So I go inside this convenience store and there's this little guy behind the counter and I'm like, what's the deal? Why can't, why won't you give me change? And he points at my $20 bill. And I look down and someone has drawn a Hitler mustache on Andrew Jackson on this $20 US bill. And he says, my owner will not let me accept this $20 bill. And I'm just like, are you serious? Like you are not going to exchange this $20 bill because some fool drew a Hitler mustache on it? Like I'm pretty much up a creek because like I don't know what else to do. And welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here today. You know, if you've been here the past couple of weeks, you'd know that we've been talking about my Southeast Asia backpacking trip. Um, over the past two weeks, I've covered Indonesia. I've talked about Nepal, India, and also Sri Lanka. And today I'm going to talk about two of probably at least my two favorite back-to-back -back countries that I visited and arguably some of my favorite overall that I visited. And that's going to be Myanmar and Cambodia. Now, Myanmar is also known um, by some people as Burma. So, you know, either or there, I'm going to refer to it as Myanmar for the rest of today's podcast. Uh, now, these two countries are very interesting um, and they're so, they're very similar in multiple different reasons, but then they're also very unlike each other for, they're very, you know, contrasting. Uh, so they're both very, very interesting places to visit. I highly recommend both. Um, and, you know, it was really, it was really cool to see them back to back. It just gave me a good sense of, you know, Asia as a sort of a traveling center of the world. It was really, really cool to see um, these two contrasting neighboring pretty close to each other countries. Um, and so I'll kind of get into more of that the farther into this episode that I go. Um, but Myanmar and Cambodia, talking about them today, let's go ahead and jump into Myanmar. Now, when you visit Myanmar, you're either going to fly into Mandalay or Yangon. Now, you might take a bus, you might take a driver there. Um, there are multiple different ways to get around Southeast Asia, but... Um, if you've kept up with this series so far, you know that I pretty much flew everywhere, especially from country to country. So I flew into Mandalay, so I'm not really going to talk at all really about Yangon, other than there's a lot of different things to do in Yangon as well. Uh, I really ultimately just chose Mandalay because it was the cheaper option. Um, so Mandalay was really interesting because I got the sense that it was not a very touristy um, location whatsoever. Uh, most times when you visit a random country or a random city, you know, there's some sense of integration there. And, you know, I'll find people who understand at least a little bit of English that I can kind of get by. Um, and I never go someplace, you know, expecting the other culture to know English or anything like that. But, you know, English is a widespread language. And more than likely, you're going to find someone who at least semi understands what message you're trying to convey. And Mandalay was one of the one places that I've ever been that was not like that whatsoever. Um, you know, obviously landing there, taking a taxi into the city center wasn't that big of a deal. Um, but then after my taxi driver dropped me off and I was just in the middle of Mandalay all by myself, it was just like complete change in you know, everything that I've really known about traveling. Um, there were very few people who I could communicate with, and I really just felt like I had been dropped in a foreign country, which I had been, um, but more so than a lot of other trips that I would taken. Um, I bought my train tickets to go to Begon um, before I left and before I arrived in the country, and so I was trying to um, go to the, the place that had bought the tickets for me and I was going to collect them, 
And so I, I, I tell my taxi driver where to take me. He drops me off, and I go up to this building that I assume is the building that has my tickets. Um, and so I kind of go knock on the door, and it turns out that it's someone's house. And they have no clue what you know I'm asking for. They really don't understand English. Um, but one girl there understands me just enough to know that I'm looking for train tickets. And so she guides me about a block away to the train ticket place. And so I pick up my tickets there. Um, and so after that, I just, you know, I'm walking to the train station. It's a couple miles away, but I have several hours in the city. And so, you know, I just like to walk around and get a feel of the city. And I can really just explore um, on foot a lot better than I could say in a tuk-tuk or something like that. So I'm pretty hungry. It's been a full, you know, travel day, haven't eaten anything. And so I see a restaurant and I see several people sitting there eating. And so I walk in and, you know, I kind of just like, I'm hungry. I would like some food. Um, and the people there have no clue whatsoever what I'm trying to say or what I want. Um, and so they don't have any menus or anything like that. And so I'm kind of just like kind of motioning that I've, I want to eat that I'm hungry. Um, and then I want some food. And so eventually, you know, there's, they kind of, they get the message. And so they tell me to sit down and, um, they bring out just three or four different plates full of food. And I'm like, I have no clue what any of this food is. Uh, what I ordered, I've, I didn't order anything. I just asked for food. Um, so, you know, I just start eating. Um, and normally when I'm traveling, I, I eat everything. Um, I feel like it's kind of rude, um, to leave anything on your plate while you're traveling. Even if you're at a restaurant, I kind of feel, um, like I have to eat everything, but they had brought out so much, like literally three or four plates, just full of food. And so I'm eating and I just cannot eat anything else. And so I'm like, okay, I'm done. Like that was so good. Thank you. And I go up to pay. And they go to my table and they start counting the stuff that was left on my plate. <laughs> and I'm like, what's going on here? And so they eventually, they just like, they charged me for what I had eaten. So they brought me like, I don't know, say like 20 of these like potato empanada things. And I had say eaten like 10 of them. And so they're like, they charged me for 10. And I don't know if they took the rest back to the kitchen or what they did with them. But I was like, I've never been to a restaurant where they just bring you a whole bunch of food and then charge you for what you ate off the table and then take everything else back. Um, so that's pretty interesting. Uh, there was totally sort of that language barrier um, in Mandalay. I just think it's not as you know touristy as a lot of other places. I know it's on the rise, um, but definitely be aware of that, that it's not gonna be as westernized as a lot of the other cultures there or a lot of the other countries. Um, but I really enjoyed that. I mean. Uh, I saw maybe one or two other groups of tourists while I was there in Mandalay. Uh, and so, you know, you really just stuck out and felt like sort of an oddity being one of the few tourists in the city. Uh, but it was a nice change of pace. I mean, a lot of Southeast Asia is overrun by tourism. And so to have that unique experience of being on the other side um, was really cool. So I, I really enjoyed that. Now, in Mandalay, there's, there's quite a bit to do there. Um, one of the main draws to Mandalay is the Ubane Bridge. Uh, it's the oldest and longest teakwood bridge in the world, and it's made out of reclaimed wood from the royal palace. Uh, it is pretty sketchy. I went, and it's like a mile long, so I walked across, and these boards are like over 100 years old, and there's like two-inch gaps in between each board, so you're like making sure every step is on a board because you could definitely just slip in and break an ankle. It was it was pretty terrifying. And about halfway through, you're just like, geez, I'm only halfway back, but you can't turn around. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's pretty interesting. There's not really a lot to do on the bridge. Uh, you're really just there to appreciate the bridge in and of itself. Also, there is the Sinbuyim uh, Pagoda, Hisinbuyume Pagoda. Uh, I'll put that in the description below because I know I did not say that at all correctly. Uh, this is known as the White Temple, and it's a pretty famous pagoda there in Mandalay. Uh, it's completely all white. You can climb up the sides of the temple there. Uh, it's pretty Instagram, you know, photography famous just because of how picturesque it looks. I did not actually go to this. It was on my itinerary to do, 
But the city of Mandalay is split sort of by a river. And this temple is on one side of the river, and then the rest of, like, the train station, the airport, and everything else is on the other side. And there's only one, like, ferry crossing to get to the other side, and it's all the way on the south side of the city. And so to get from where I was all the way down to the south side and back up, it was going to be like a 45-minute tuk-tuk drive, even though I was literally almost right across the river from it. And so, you know, I maybe had five or six hours in Mandalay, and I just did not think that I had two hours worth of travel time that I wanted to spend going to this pagoda. But if you have, you know, multiple days in Mandalay, I would definitely recommend checking it out. It looks amazing, and if I had the time, I would definitely go back and check it out. There's also the Mandalay Palace. I did not really even look into this or know it was there, but just walking around the city, I came across it. There's a cool little moat that encircles the whole thing. I'm not really even sure if you can go inside, if there's tours, things like that. But just seeing it from the outside is pretty impressive. There's also, you know, besides that one pagoda, there's a ton of little temples throughout the city. Um, and just, you know, exploring the city by foot, you just run, you run across them. And more than likely, um, you can, you know, walk in and explore them as long as you're dressed appropriately and things like that. Um, there's some pretty cool architecture, different statues, things like that. Uh, you can meet some cool monks and, you know, just getting off the beaten path and checking out some, you know, non-touristy areas is always pretty awesome. So the main draw in Myanmar, at least in my opinion, is going to be Begon. And Begon is known for just thousands of temples that are scattered across this desert area. And they're pretty close to like a thousand years old, I believe. They were built like in the 12th, 13th century. Uh, and so they're pretty ancient. And I believe there was originally around 10,000 of them. And now there's about two, three, 4,000 left standing. And it's pretty epic. I mean, you go there and if you get to a good vantage point, you can just look out and just see, you know, it's, it's, pretty flat and arid there's a bunch of like mesquite trees and things like that but you can just see you know the tops of temples and stupas just you know just sticking out from the landscape it's it's pretty amazing uh this was one of my definitely one of my top places that i visited on this entire trip for so many different reasons i mean I am. I always love historical places where you can just get down and dirty with the history of the place. And so being able to get off the beaten path, go into temples, explore them, um, you know, just whenever I can put my hand on history, that is a place that I love to be. Uh, and so not only that aspect of Begon, but the fact that it wasn't as touristy as a lot of other places, that just added to the appeal of this place. Uh, I really, I honestly don't think it's going to be like that for a, a long time. I definitely feel like it's going to turn into like a Siem Reap in Cambodia, like an Angkor Wat sort of deal. Uh, but for the time being, it's a great place. Um, it's not overrun yet. And so I definitely recommend checking out Begon. Now to get to Begon, I mean, there's multiple different ways you can take tour buses. Uh, I'm sure there's overnight buses that you could just take on your own. Um, you could obviously take a private, a private car if you wanted to, but I took a train, I took a sleeper train and I feel like that's a pretty popular way to get there. It's not too expensive and honestly, it's pretty comfortable. Now I lucked out because two people usually stay in a room on a sleeper train and both there and back, um, I did not have to share my room with anyone. The one time um, no one had booked it with me, and so I just had it by myself. And then the second time, the person who had booked it had a group of friends who was staying in another room, and so that guy just kind of hung out with his friends all night in their room. So I had the sleeper car to myself, uh, and although I wasn't really worried you know, about sharing the room with someone or about protecting my things, um, it's just really nice to be able to kind of spread out, put all my stuff on one bed, you know, lay down and sleep in the other one. Um, so, you know, I kind of lucked out, but I really don't think it'd have been that bad, even if I shared. Uh, and I did go, you know, dead summer and they were pretty comfortable. They weren't too hot. Just leave the window open. Uh, and th they're pretty nice. Now, more than likely you're going to arrive pretty early in the morning. I believe I left Mandalay maybe around eight o'clock at night. 
and I arrived in Baygon around 4.30 in the morning. Uh, there's going to be plenty of tuk-tuk drivers and things at the train station to take you wherever you need to go. And I mean, this is a pretty normal thing, people arriving that early and people being up and about that early in Baygon. And so, you know, I went straight to my hostel, uh, the host or whoever was there, um, but obviously it was too early to check in. And so I left my baggage there and he recommended that I go ahead and rent an e-bike and go catch the sunrise because the sun hadn't come up yet. So I went ahead, I took him up on that offer, I went across the street. You can get an e-bike uh, for about $5 a day and they're pretty awesome. They're electric, hence the e part of the e-bike. Uh, and when, I believe it was the second day I was there, I had the e-bike from sunrise until sunset and halfway through the day, my battery started to die and I was going like five miles an hour down the road. And so I just went back to the same, you know, little stand that I had rented it from to begin with in the morning. And the guy just switched it out for me, you know, with a fresh battery and I was on my way. So definitely a great deal. Um, the only real mishaps that I had was my very first morning um, after I'd left my hostel. I was driving through this random little field and there was like this pack of dogs that started chasing me. And so I just had to like slam on the gas and, you know, peel out of there. Um, but the roads, you know, a lot of the roads are really sandy and things like that. But as long as you're careful, um, I had no accidents or anything like in Indonesia. So um, just be careful, nothing to really worry about. Now, there are quite a few different ways to get around in Bagon. I mean, you can get a bicycle. The e-bikes are definitely the way to go. Um, or you can have like a horse and a buggy. Uh, you can get a private driver. There's multiple different ways, but having the freedom of the e-bike and how cheap it is, I definitely think that that's the way to go. Uh, and totally would recommend, you know, just having that ability to go where you want, when you want to do it, um, and get off the beaten path. So anyways, back to um, that first morning, I go out, try to catch the sunrise. Um, you know, Bagan is known for temple climbing and being able to climb up on top of temples and seeing, you know, great views. Um, but, you know, being my first morning, I didn't really know the layout, so I was kind of just driving around aimlessly. So I wasn't really able to get a good sunrise view. I did see, you know, a ton of tourists <laughs> piling out of a tourist bus and they've actually built these mounds just of earth um, so that you can get above like the tree line. And so there was probably like, you know, a couple hundred people on this little mound of dirt. And so I went and checked that out. Um, wasn't an amazing view, but it was definitely better than nothing. So I definitely recommend, you know, spending your days um, going and just exploring and finding awesome viewpoints and then you know, kind of marking those locations and then going back to those for sunrise and sunsets. Um, I did that for my first and second nights and then my second morning, and I was able, you know, to get some great views um, and have some amazing sunrise, sunset um, sights. Um, so, you know, talking about temple climbing, that's one of the things to do in Begon, and the, the government is actually, you know, starting to kind of ban that um, a lot of these temples have staircases built into them um, so that you can climb into the temples and up to the roofs. And so the, uh, the government has started to go in and barricade these um, entrances, whether using like padlocks and gates or by, you know, putting thorn bush branches, you know, stuffed into the hallway so that you can't walk through. Um, and, you know, I've read a lot of blogs and, you know, different forum posts about people saying, oh, you shouldn't climb on these temples. You know, these are historical, you know, sites. You shouldn't, like, do anything like that. Um, and, you know, that's, you know, one of those personal opinion things. It's up to you. Uh, I honestly don't have, you know, feel bad about it or feel anything against that as long as I'm being respectful and polite and not... Um, you know, destroying anything as long as, you know, I'm leaving it as good or as better than I found it. Um, and especially places where there's staircases um, to the top of the temple. Obviously, if I'm climbing over gates and things like that, that's not good. Um, but I was able to find a few temples that uh, had not been locked off yet. And so I just took a staircase up to the roof. And for something like that, I, I really don't see an issue with that. Um, but, you know, once again, that's just up to you. It's just a personal conviction. Um, and so, yeah, just take that with a grain of salt. 
One of the biggest tips that I have for Bagon just overall is downloading Maps Me. And a lot of people while backpacking Southeast Asia will use this app. Um, I forgot to mention it in my 101 episode, um, so I'm going to go ahead and throw it in now. Um, but Maps Me is awesome. It's sort of like a navigation app that you can download prior to traveling to that location. Um, and so it's just really great when you don't have internet access, data, anything like that. You can still, you know, map your way around. But the best part about Maps Me, especially in Baygon, is the fact that you can flag places and share those flags with everybody. Uh, and so what's so cool about that is in Baygon, if you're looking for certain temples or temples that might not be locked yet, um, you can look on Maps Me, and there might be like a starred location. And if you click on that star, um, it might pull up, okay, this temple um, is unlocked, and I was able to climb to the top of it in March. And then you might see another one, and you click on it, and it says, I was there in November, and it was locked off. You're not able to climb this temple anymore. So things like that, even though the information might be, you know, months or even years old, it kind of gives you some starting spots of places where you might be able to still legally and safely climb up to the top of a temple and get some great views. Although, you know, I probably chased about 20 of these different starred locations and maybe two of them were still valid and open. Um, if you have no idea where to go or where to start, that's, that's a great place. Um, and you know, just by, you know, looking for these temples on maps, me, I was able to really get my bearings about the region. Um, and so I was able to, you know, I was able to explore a little bit more, um, methodically because of that. Uh, but I do recommend really just going off the beaten path and, you know, there's a ton of little tiny trails and just be like, okay, when I get to a fork in the road, I'm going to go left. And then you get to another fork and you're like, well, I went left last time. Let's go right. And kind of just get lost. I mean, this place is huge. And I mean, you could spend days out there and just constantly be going to new temples every single day. Um, and it's just an awesome place to explore and just get lost. Um, so I definitely recommend that. There are several famous temples, I guess, um, that are more of the larger ones and that most of the tour buses and tour groups go to. Um, and so I'm going to go ahead and mention those now. I really wasn't even planning on going to these, but my second day, I had just spent, you know, a day and a half going to all the random little small temples. And so I was like, well, I'll go ahead and check these out. And I do recommend going to these because they are impressive. But, you know, I would not recommend spending all of my time there, not only because you're with tons of people, um, but I feel like the smaller temples in Bagon are just as impressive and are just as cool, and you're there all by yourself, and you just have that unique experience of being there all alone amidst this vast, you know, array of temples. So, um, there are three main ones. There's the tallest temple, which is Tatsbyunyu. Um, there's the most beautiful temple, which is Ananda, and then the largest temple, which is Damayangi. I'll put all three of those in the description because I know I totally butchered those names. Um, but those are the, you know, most popular temples, and you can really see those from all over the Bagan archaeological zone. I mean, they just stand out because they're so massive compared to the other minor temples. Um... So definitely check those out. I mean, there's some great art and statues in all of those, um, and they're definitely unique to the area. But spend most of your time out exploring the lesser temples. I really think that's um, you know the best bang for your buck, and you'll enjoy your time a lot more if you you know are out alone exploring than in these main temples where all the tour tourists and tour groups go. So while I'm on the topic of temples, I'm going to go ahead and explain the difference between a pagoda, a stupa, and a temple. These are all terms that you're going to hear a lot in Bagan and really in all of Southeast Asia. Uh, so first off, a stupa does not have an entrance. It's kind of just like a monument, and most of the stupas in Bagan sort of had like a bell shape. Um, and so they're kind of just sitting out there in the middle of the desert, and you know, I guess people would go up and like, offer sacrifices and leave gifts and stuff just around like the base of the sort of monument 
um, and really just architectural pieces there sitting in the desert. Now, temples, you can actually go inside. They have entrances. Normally, they have like a Buddha statue on the inside. Um, you can walk in, and there's like this big room. Sometimes there are four entrances, one at each compass point, and there's like sort of a, a inner hallway that encircles the main temple area. Um, and then a pagoda just encompasses both of these. So, you know, you can say there's a stupa. It doesn't have an entrance. There's the temple. It does have an entrance. You can go inside. Or I could just say, oh, look at all those pagodas, and that just, you know, covers all, all of those topics. So pagodas, stupas, temples, now you know the difference. I really didn't know the difference for quite a while, so I thought it might be interesting to throw it in here. Now, I mentioned quite a few different ways to get to Bagon. One that I did not mention is an Irrawaddy cruise. Now, this goes from both Mandalay or Yangon to Bagon and vice versa. Uh, and I, I really wanted to do the Irrawaddy cruise. Um, you can do like day cruises or like two day cruises. Um, unfortunately I went during the summer, which is, uh, the dry season. And so the Irrawaddy river was too low. And so the cruise ships, uh, were not able to go all the way down to Bagon. I guess they would get stuck because the water level isn't high enough. So if you go during, I guess the winter months, I would definitely recommend checking out an Irrawaddy cruise. I don't think they're that expensive and they look really cool. Um, you can just really, you know, Myanmar is a really beautiful place. It's sort of deserty and is totally different than the rest of Asia, in my opinion, or at least the rest of Southeast Asia. It's not really jungly, it's more deserty. Um, there's like mesquite trees and like cactuses and things like that. And so just being able to see the countryside on your way down looked really epic and I really think it'd be a great you know use of a day or two there in Myanmar and plus it'd be pretty relaxing if you need some time to kind of just rest and you know take a day off or so from your trip. Now when you're in Bagon, I've already mentioned this a little bit but the archaeological zone is huge and so to view to really view these temples you're supposed to buy a ticket for the area. And so, you know, there's supposed to be like guards and stuff at these temples that check for your ticket. Um, I honestly, I never was asked to show my ticket. And the thing is, um, when I arrived at like 4.30 in the morning, there was no one at a ticket stand. And so my tuk-tuk driver just took me straight to my hostel. And honestly, I didn't even think about it until that night. And I was like, huh, I never bought my ticket. And, you know... Really, I think it was like $30 or something like that for the ticket. So it was kind of expensive. Um, and it was really weird because I honestly had to make an effort to be like, okay, I can't forget. I have to go get, you know, my ticket for the Bagon Archaeological Zone. And so just one day I, you know, drove like 15 minutes to the edge of the zone, bought my ticket, and then, you know, then I was good to go. But honestly, I was never checked for a ticket. No one ever was like, hey, don't forget, you need to get your Bagon Archaeological Zone ticket um, or anything like that. So one, you know, if you, you feel the need to buy a ticket, um, you know, no one's going to really remind you to do that. Maybe if you're like in a tour or something, they might. Um, but it's not going to be something that they're like, oh, shoot, you didn't buy a ticket. Like, you can't go with us. Um, but then two, like, I was never checked. So just keep that in mind as well. I know a lot of people, um, there's a lot of, you know, oppression and stuff like that in Myanmar um, by the government. And so I know a lot of people are like, I don't want to fund, you know, the government. A lot of people have kind of just boycotted traveling to Myanmar in general. Um, but, you know, Myanmar is a great place. And yes, you might not be funding the government some by traveling, but you're also not helping the local people as well. So I'm not, I've not ever really been a fan of boycotting a country just because you don't agree with what's going on there because there's a lot of good people there as well that you know need that support um, so just keep that in mind you do need a ticket but I you know I was never checked and I honestly don't know the repercussions if I was checked and didn't have one they might just say go get one they might give you a fine I, I honestly don't know um, so that's just a risk you're gonna have to see if you're willing to take so a funny story uh, when I was in Myanmar 
Uh, after, you know, being in Begon, I spent two awesome days there. I took a train back at like 6, 7 o'clock at night back to Mandalay. And so I, I get back to Mandalay around, uh, around 4 in the morning. So it's about the same time. And, you know, sort of like I mentioned in the last episode about the Indian trains where they literally, they don't tell you when you're supposed to get off. They're just like, slow down and you hope you're at the right stop. Um, so this is a sleeper train and everyone on this train's like sleeping. It's literally four in the morning when you get there and they just stop and no one comes down the hall telling you to wake up that you've arrived. And so I, I don't know if that train keeps going, if it just goes back to Mandalay or what, but if you're sleeping and don't set an alarm, who knows where you might be if you wake up at six and the train stopped and big on at 4.30. <laughs> so definitely recommend setting like an alarm clock. I did. Now I would, you know, figure out like 30 minutes before I was going to arrive and set an alarm. So I was ready you know, and packed and ready to go whenever we arrived. But anyways, I'm, I'm getting back into Mandalay and it's four in the morning. My alarm goes off. So I'm getting ready because we're arriving into the city and all of a sudden I just hear shouting outside along the trains. And so I have my window kind of cracked, but I open it the rest of the way and I look out and there are people they're tuk-tuk drivers kind of like running along the side of the train and we're already starting to slow down because we're probably like a mile or so from the station in Mandalay and they just are chasing our train and from the outside they're like yelling at all the passengers asking if we need tuk-tuks when we arrive in into the Mandalay station and so not only is it like four o'clock but these guys are like yelling at us and I'm groggy and I'm just like what in the world is going on and I didn't have to be at the airport till like noon. So I was just planning on kind of chilling at the train station for a few hours before I headed out. And so I didn't need a driver. And so I'm just kind of laying there in my bed, chilling. I have everything packed, ready to go. And all of a sudden I look over and a guy has literally jumped through my window in my train room and is climbing through the window into my room. And he finally kind of just like crawls through the window. He stands up and he's like, do you need a tuk-tuk? I'm like, dude, it is 4.15, it's pitch black dark outside, you just climbed through my moving train's window and asked me if I need a tuk-tuk? No, get out of my room. And so he just, he just like walks straight through my door that goes to the train hall and then goes down to the next door and asks if they need a tuk-tuk and it just keeps on going. And I'm like, I'm, I'm so glad that I had woken up because if I had not set an alarm and I just wake up to some random dude climbing through my window... I don't know what I had done. I would have freaked out. So there are some shenanigans going on over there. Um, but, you know, Myanmar, you know, top top two or three places that I visited on the Southeast Asia trip. And like I said, I, I really don't think it's going to stay um, as sort of exclusive um, as it was when I was there. I definitely feel like it's going to kind of blow up into a more touristy country very soon. So I totally recommend getting there as soon as you can um, if you want to experience sort of just the exclusivity of it um, and enjoy being one of the few tourists sort of in that country. Um, it's very amazing. Begon is one of the coolest archaeological sites that I've ever been. Just being able to be so close to the history, just being able to get off the beaten path and just explore um, and have a crazy adventure out just in the desert by myself. Pretty epic. And I totally, totally recommend um, Begon and Myanmar as a whole. So after Myanmar, I flew, uh, I believe I flew through Thailand for a short lay layover and then into Cambodia. And this is where I knew things were going to be totally opposite from my time in Myanmar. When I flew into Myanmar, there were literally maybe two other white people on the entire flight. And, you know, obviously there could have been some Asian tourists on there as well, but I, there were, if there were tourists, we were the minority on that plane. When I got on the plane to Cambodia, there might have been one or two Asian people on that flight. Like, literally 95% of that flight were white tourists. And I was like, okay, this is, this is a little different. And 
right after we had taken off, we had probably just reached cruising altitude. And all of a sudden, someone just yells from like the front of the plane, hey, we're going to Angkor Wat. And like the entire plane just started cheering like we were on a tour bus to Disneyland. And I was like, this is complete opposite of what I just experienced in Myanmar. I go from being one of the only tourists in a country to this entire plane is like going on a thrill ride into this country. So totally opposite sort of settings going into these trips. Um, like I said, I believe I said this maybe in the last episode. I'm not really sure. Maybe the first episode when I was talking about Nepal. Um, but Angkor Wat and my trek in Nepal were like the two cornerstones of this backpacking trip. Um, Angkor Wat was like the thing where this is the place that I really want to go in Southeast Asia. And then literally everything else kind of just blossomed around it. So I was really excited to be in Siem Reap and to have the time to explore these temples um, in the city of Angkor. Um, so more than likely, especially if you fly, you're going to be flying into Siem Reap. It's very touristy, like I already said. Um, there's, you know, tons of hostels and things like that. It's a pretty epic place. Um, besides, say, like Bangkok and like Bali, I feel like Siem Reap is one of those top three places in Southeast Asia that you are going to visit if you're backpacking um, or spending, you know, an extended amount of time there. Uh, near Siem Reap, there's Phnom Penh, which is the capital of the country. There are a lot of interesting sites there that have to do with um, the war and things that are going on in that country. Um, the killing fields are there, and there's like a, uh, a mine museum there, uh, a landmine museum, which is pretty interesting. I did not go to Phnom Penh, uh, but I talked to a lot of people who had. I believe it's about an hour from Siem Reap. Uh, and if you're there for multiple days, it'd be a cool um, a few-day trip to get out of Siem Reap and to go to some other locations. There's also some other cool places in Cambodia um, besides these two, but these are the two main ones that you know I've heard about and researched. Um, so when I first arrived in Siem Reap, I was really thinking that I would rent a bicycle and bike around Angkor Wat. I thought that would be pretty interesting and an easy way for me to have the flexibility and freedom to travel around the complex like I want. Um, but my tuk-tuk driver from the airport to my hostel, we were talking and he spoke some really good English, so we were having some great conversations. And um, he pitched me the idea of $20 for all-day service. So basically, it would drive me all around the complex for $20 a day. And I mean, when a bicycle is going to cost you like $5 a day, it's going to be like 100 degrees tomorrow. It's really hard to turn down $20 for an all-day, you know, driver. Um, so I took him up on that, and I actually had him for two days. Um, and I recommend spending two days in Angkor Wat. Uh, you know, you can obviously always spend less time or more time, but I felt like two days was a good way of not jamming everything down your throat in one day. Um, but also not having just like nothing to do on certain days. There's sort of like two loops. There's a big loop and a small loop. Um, the smaller loop has more of the main temples on it. So it has like Ta Prom, Angkor Wat, and Bayon. And then the bigger loop has all of the little minor temples that a lot of people might not necessarily go and see. Um, so, you know, obviously one of the biggest attractions in Angkor is Angkor Wat and going to watch the sunrise at Angkor Wat. Now, my first full day in Siem Reap, um, I wanted to go see the sunrise. And so, you know, I probably got picked up from my hostel at like 4.30, 5 in the morning, something like that. Plenty of time to, I had to go buy my ticket and then get to the sunrise. And, you know, I'm all about getting up early and being the first one at sites and you know just getting there before anybody else and i arrived at angkor wat at like 5 30 in the morning and there was probably already a thousand people sitting there at the reflection pools waiting for the sunrise and it was pretty crazy because literally you know probably a week before maybe even less than a week before i had gotten up at the same exact time and was at the Taj Mahal at the same exact time. It was the only person there. That was the first person into the gate, had Taj Mahal all to myself. And now I'm in Angkor Wat and at the exact same time in the morning. And now there's a thousand people there with me. 
it was pretty crazy to see that many people there that early in the morning up for the same exact reason that you were. Um, luckily, I'm tall, and so I was able to, one, get to sort of the front of the crowd, but two, I was able to see over everybody. And so even though there were a ton of people there, I was still able to get some pretty awesome photos. Uh, it was honestly one of my favorite sun sunrises that I've ever seen. It was absolutely beautiful. Uh, sunrises are pretty, they're kind of tricky because, you know, you see a sunrise and it looks beautiful and you're like, wow, that's amazing. And you're like, okay, sweet, I'm going to leave now. And then as soon as you turn your back and turn back around, it's just like a fire went off and it's just like incredible colors everywhere. And you're like, wow, how did that happen in like five seconds? Um, but that's the way the Angkor Wat sunrise was like. Um, it was sort of like a dusty pink. And you're like, wow, this is pretty. Like not the best sunrise I've ever seen, but pretty gorgeous. And then, you know, I start to walk around and take some more pictures. And all of a sudden I look and it's just like this fiery like pink and orange. Um, it's pretty magnificent. I have some photos of it on my Instagram uh, if you want to go check it out. But a great sunrise. Uh, so I got pretty fortunate there. Now, although there might be a thousand people there for the Angkor Wat sunrise, probably 90% of them leave and go back to their hostels after watching the sunrise. They go take a nap and they turn into the typical tourists where then they come and show back up at like 10 o'clock in the morning. So, you know, you're there that early, you're already up and about, let's just stick it out um, and go around and wait to be the first person at one of the other main temples. The interesting thing about visiting Angkor Wat or Angkor the city is that even though you can go watch the sunrise at Angkor Wat at like 5.36 in the morning, the rest of the complex doesn't open until like 7.30. And so after I watched the sunrise, I met up with my driver and we drove to, I believe we drove to Bayon and there's no gates or anything around these sites. So I just start walking up towards the temple and all of a sudden a guard starts like running after me. He's like, hey, you can't go in there. We're not open yet. And so I was like, well, what time do you open? And he's like an hour. So we kind of just like drove around for a little bit, um, took pictures at like the temple or at the gates into the city um, and things like that. And then we went and kind of just hung out at Ta Prom. Ta Prom is the jungle temple um, where you have all those big trees growing out of the temple. Uh, it's pretty cool. And so I kind of just waited there for like maybe 30 minutes. I just chilled with the guard. And then whenever they opened up, I was like the first one into the site um, there. So it's pretty cool how uh, there might be a ton of people there at the beginning to watch the sunrise, but then they all kind of leave and it goes back to like, okay, this is a typical early morning at a tourist attraction where no one's here. Um, so I do recommend getting there early um, and going to check out the big sites. Um, Top Prom was one of the ones that I really wanted to see um, sort of by myself. And, you know, I probably spent about an hour there and then around nine o'clock or so, um, tour group started to show up and it started to get pretty packed. Um, so during the middle of the day when there might be a lot of tourists there, that's when I'd recommend going to check out all the smaller temples where a lot of people don't necessarily go. And then towards the end of the day, you can go back to like Angkor Wat and Bayon. Um, I recommend going up to the top of Angkor Wat. It's a pretty steep climb up to the top. Um, they've actually built a staircase um, so you don't have to walk on the actual staircase that was originally there. But it's a pretty cool view. You can see out over um, most of at least the Angkor Wat portion of Angkor um, from the top. And it's just pretty cool to be inside of that temple. Um, so yeah, definitely recommend checking that out. Bayon is pretty cool as well. You can climb up to the top of it. Um, there's a ton of monkeys all over Angkor Wat, um, just like the rest of Southeast Asia. But you really have to watch out. They're kind of aggressive, and they might um, steal your stuff there. Um, I saw I saw quite a few monkeys that were just like sitting on top of cars, like banging the roofs and things like that. Um, so I don't. If you rented a car, I guess you could do that there. I don't know if I would drive it to Angkor Wat, um, or it might get damaged. You never know. Uh, one thing, this was probably the dumbest thing that I did on my <laughs> backpacking trip. Um, it was the second day uh, that I had this tuk-tuk driver, and we had been driving around all day, and, you know, it was literally probably 100 degrees there, and I have this small day bag that I take with me, just a little lightweight backpack that I keep, like, my water, my passport, um, maybe like a map, just little things that I might need throughout the day. 
And so, you know, I would take that with me to all the different temples and it was just so hot. My back would be drenched by the time I got back to the tuk-tuk. And so the last temple that I went to was I went to Bayonne. And I was like, I told my tuk-tuk driver, okay, uh, I'm going to go to the Bayonne temple. And then after that, I'll come and meet you. I want to watch the sunset. So he's like, okay. The last few temples were pretty small temples. And I had just left my backpack in the tuk-tuk. I was like, I'm going to be gone maybe like 30 minutes. You know, I've had this guy for a couple days. I trust him. He's a cool guy. Um, and so I would just leave my backpack there, kind of hide it so that he didn't know it was there. But, you know, I didn't think he was going to run off or anything. I hadn't paid him yet. Um, and so, um, <laughs> funnily, pretty funny though, My all my money was in my backpack. So he could have just taken the backpack and gotten paid. But whatever. So pretty stupid. Left my backpack in the tuk-tuk. Went and saw all these sites. It worked out. Nothing happened. But on the last, the last temple, Bayon, it's a pretty big temple. And so I left my backpack in the tuk-tuk and I climbed the temple. You know, I kind of just spent quite a bit of time there. I probably spent over an hour in this one temple just because it's so large. And then I went and I looked for my tuk-tuk driver. And there were a couple of times that I couldn't really find him just because there were a lot of tuk-tuks around um, or he wasn't necessarily where he said he was going to be. Um, or I just couldn't find where he said he was going to be, but most of the time he came and found me and it all worked out. No big deal. So like the sun was literally going down and there's another smaller temple next to Bayon. I was like, I'm going to go watch the sunset from this temple. And so I couldn't find my tuk-tuk driver, but I was like, whatever. I told him I was going to go watch the sunset. So I'll just find him afterwards. So I go and I'm watching the sunset and, you know, the sun goes down. It's, it's a gorgeous sunset. And so I'm like, okay, it's time to go. And so I start to walk out towards the street and all of a sudden I see these tuk-tuk lights shining down on me and a horn honking. And I'm like, who is this? And I look and it's my tuk-tuk driver. And he's just like, I've been looking everywhere for you. Like, I couldn't find you at Bayonne. I thought you had like ditched me and had basically scammed me out of my day's pay. And one, I was like, dude, I would never do that to you. But then I was like, holy crap, like my backpack, my passport, all of my money was in this tuk-tuk. And if he had thought that I had just like left him and screwed him out of his money and had taken my backpack, not knowing it was there, like, I don't even know what I would, like, what I would have done. I don't know how I would have found him. Um, that would have been a total mess. And I definitely dodged a major bullet with that, um, right there. So... I do not recommend leaving your backpack in a tuk-tuk, um, or if you do, make sure that the driver knows that you are not going to screw him out of his money, that you are there for the long haul, and you're going to come find him at the end of the day. Um, but yeah, that could have turned really bad, really fast, and so luckily he was a great guy. He didn't give up on me. He came and found me. He even bought me some corn that had been roasted over a fire. I was like, here, I, bought, I brought you a snack. Um, so he was a great guy, um, but I got really fortunate on that one. So don't don't leave your backpack in a tuk-tuk. Um, that was a stupid move. Probably That was definitely the dumbest thing that I did on my entire trip. Um, so just be careful of your stuff. Um, so NCM Reap, uh, one, well, last, last but not least, um, you can buy different day passes for Angkor Wat. I think there's a one-day, three-day, and maybe like a five-day pass. I bought a three-day pass just because I wanted to spend multiple days there. If you buy a one-day pass or any of these passes, if you buy them after like five o'clock, you can still go and see like the sunset um, and then not use it until the next day. So it's kind of like a one and a half day pass. Um, I really don't know if I would have wanted to spend five days there. After um, Begon and then Angkor, I was really templed out. Like I was pretty much over seeing temples. They all started to look the same. Um, and I can't imagine spending five days there. Um, but you know, you might, it's just up to you, I suppose. One day, you know, you would have to just see like the really main sites, um, or really, really hustle, um, and spend like 12 hours there. Um, so I feel like a three day pass is pretty good. Uh, there, uh, it was kind of interesting. You'd just be driving down the road and there'd be like a checkpoint and they would stop and they would, um, punch your ticket. Um, so there was some security there as far as tickets go. Um, so you'll definitely want to get a ticket and your tuk-tuk driver will, you know, they'll, they'll remind you and make sure that you have a ticket. 
um, before you go. So last but not least, one last story. Uh, CM Reap uh, has a street or a little section called uh, Pub Street. It's pretty, it's pretty um, crowded with backpackers and tourists and things like that. And as the name holds, I mean, there's a lot of pubs, a lot of restaurants, um, a lot of different things to do on this street. Um, and so each night I would go there, get dinner. Um, you can get you know pretty cheap food just because it's such a, a hub. And so a lot of people are going there. So there's a lot of great deals. Um, and so definitely I recommend going there. Um, there's a lot of nightlife there too. Um, just walking up and down the street, there's like people doing fire magic and weird stuff like that. Um, there's kids selling bugs for you to eat. Uh, I ate a scorpion off of this tray that some kid was just like walking down the street. Um, there was like tarantulas, snakes, crickets, uh, scorpions, all sorts of weird stuff. Uh, I, it was either between a scorpion and a tarantula, and I figured a scorpion was the less disgusting option. So I did eat a scorpion. That kind of fulfilled my Cambodia bug eating experience. Uh, eating bugs in Cambodia is actually sort of like a common thing. Um, and I feel like that's something you have to do while you're in Cambodia to get the full experience. There's actually a restaurant there where all they serve is bugs. Like everything you eat has bugs in it. So you can get like a salad and there's like crickets inside of the salad and things like that. I don't know if I'd go that far to get the experience, but definitely, you know, at least eat a cricket or something while you're in Cambodia to say you ate a bug um, while there. Uh, there's also all these Mongolian barbecue places. I'd never really had Mongolian barbecue. And so my very first night there, you know, I was exhausted. I'd spent literally all day going to the temples and things like that. And so I'm starving and I see this all you can eat, uh, all you can eat Mongolian barbecue buffet. And I'm like, sweet, I'm about to chow down. And it was like maybe. It was super cheap, like maybe five bucks for an all-you-can-eat seafood Mongolian barbecue. And so I'm like, heck yeah, this is what I'm doing tonight. So I go in, and mind you, it's like 90 degrees at like 8 o'clock at night. Like it is blistering hot and humid. And I sit down, and they bring me this little metal plate thing with a bowl of water and a candle. And they like light the candle and the water in the middle or on the edge starts boiling. And then there's like this middle dome coming out of the, like the center and you're supposed to cook your own food. And so I go up to like the buffet counter and there's like shrimp and there's snails and like little strips of beef and chicken and squid and all this amazing food, but it's all raw and you have to go and cook it yourself over this little tiny flame. And so I probably sat there for an hour and just was cooking these little pieces of meat and these little shrimp and snails. And after an hour, I was dripping sweat. I mean, it's already hot. And then I'm sitting over some like boiling little pan of water cooking my food. I'm nowhere near full. Like I'm still, I'm probably more hungry now than when I got there. And I was just like, I'm over this. This is so stupid. And so I just got up and left. Um, so Mongolian barbecue, you know, that might be part of the experience. I would not recommend ever going to a Mongolian barbecue where you have to cook it yourself. Um, and may, I think that might be the definition of Mongolian barbecue is you're cooking it yourself at your table. Um, but sitting outside in Siem Reap, Cambodia, cooking over a little tiny flame, no bueno, that sucked. And I would not recommend ever doing that. No matter how cheap or how much food you can get, it's not worth it. So there's a, there's a pro tip right there. Don't eat Mongolian barbecue unless you eat like a bird and you'll have like one shrimp and be full. Uh, so last story um, for this episode. It was my last night in Cambodia. Um, I, was, I went to Pub Street that night for dinner and I was eating dinner and this group of people from China came in and they sat down next to me and they were Lego engineers from China. And so we started talking and it was like, wow, this is weird. I've never met a Lego engineer. So it was pretty interesting. So we were just talking and it was getting pretty late. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm heading home. And my hostel was probably three quarters of a mile from Pub Street. It was not that far at all. And the first night I had walked there and walked back, no problem. I had walked there that night, no issue. Um, and so it was getting pretty late and I was like, okay, I'm going to walk home. Now, I have, you know, my hostel on my maps, me set, ready to go, like, 
I'm not going to get lost. No big deal. But, you know, I had walked to and from Pub Street a couple times, and I was like, you know, I got this. I don't need my, my map. I'm less than a mile away. I've got this. So, well, you know, long story short, I did not have this. And after about 30 minutes, I'm, like, looking around, and I'm, like, in the middle of a field. <laughs> and I'm like, this, this is not where I'm supposed to be right now. Like, where in the world am I? So I pull out my map. And lo and behold, I have walked literally the direct opposite way that I need to go to head back to my hostel. So now it's even later than it was before, and I'm probably twice as far as I was before. So I'm like, well, crap. So now I'm looking at my map, and I'm like, okay, I know where I need to go. I've, I kind of line up my direction. I'm like, okay. So I start walking in that direction. About five minutes later, I look back at my map, and guess what? I'm still going in the wrong direction. Oh, I look, line myself up, start walking. Same thing, five minutes later, still walking in the wrong direction. I don't know if Maps Me was tripping out or if I'm just that bad with a sense of direction, but finally, I'm just like, okay, I'm just going to stare at my map, and I'm staring at my map, and I'm still, I'm walking, I'm walking, and it's telling me I'm going in the wrong direction. I have no clue what's going on. So finally, I find a tuk-tuk, and I'm like, dude, I need to go home. Take me to my hostel. So I give him the address, and we take off. Well, I mean, it's pretty late at this point. This guy has no clue where my hostel is. I told him the address. I showed it to him on the map. And we're in the middle of CM Reap, and he has no clue where to go. And so finally, I recognize where I'm at in the city. And mind you, I've only been there like two days. And I still know kind of where I'm at compared to this map. And so I kind of direct him to where I need to go. And we finally reach my hostel. And it's, it's really late at this point. Like, we're approaching early morning hours at this point of the story. And so we finally get to my hostel, and all I have left is a $20 bill. And if, you, if you've never been to Cambodia, anything like that, in Cambodia, they use U.S. currency um, for anything over a dollar. Less than a dollar, they have their own currency, but over a dollar, they use U.S. And so I have a $20 bill, and that's all I have left. That's all the money that I pulled out of the ATM, and I was leaving the next morning, so that was going to you know pay for my tuk-tuk to the airport, maybe buy me a lunch or a brunch before I flew out. So I ask him how much the drive is going to be, and he tells me it's going to be like $2. And I'm like, okay, well, all I have is this 20 so here you go. And he's like, oh, I don't have change for a $20 bill. And I'm like, dude, you've been driving all night. I know you've been driving all night. How do you not have change? Like, come on, it's a $20 bill. It's not like I'm pulling out 100 and so he's like, well, I don't have change. And I'm like, well, look, I'm not going to pay you $20 for a $2 tuk-tuk ride. Plus, I need this $20 for tomorrow. So you're just going to have to, you know, figure out how to get change. So he's like, well, there was a convenience store around the corner. So let's go there. I'm like, sweet, let's do it. So we get back in his tuk-tuk. We drive around to the nearest convenience store. And I'm just sitting in the tuk-tuk. He's like, I'm going to go inside and get change. I'm like, sweet, you do you. So I'm sitting there in the tuk-tuk, and all of a sudden, he kind of waves at me from the convenience store entrance. And he's like, they won't give me change, or they won't give you change for your $20 bill. And I'm like, are you serious? Like, why won't they give me change? It's a perfectly good $20 bill. What's going on? And he's like, I don't know. Come with me. So I go inside this convenience store, and there's this little guy behind the counter. And I'm like, what's the deal? Why, can't, why won't you give me change? And he points at my $20 bill. Now, Andrew Jackson is on the $20 U.S. bill. And I look down, and someone, I don't know who, I pulled this out of an ATM there in Cambodia. I look down, someone has drawn a Hitler mustache on Andrew Jackson on this $20 U.S. bill. And he says, my owner will not let me accept this $20 bill. And I, I about lose it. I mean, it's probably 1, 2 in the morning at this point, And I am exhausted. I've been looking at temples all day. I'm tired. Uh, I'm, I'm probably hungry because of that Korean-Mongolian barbecue stuff. And I'm just like, are you serious? Like, you are not going to exchange this $20 bill because some fool drew a Hitler mustache on it? Like, I have seen far worse written and drawn on currency passed around in the United States. And he's just like, I don't know what to tell you. And I'm, I'm pretty much up a creek because unless I go to an ATM and pull out some more money, like I don't know what else to do. So my tuk-tuk driver, 
he, he kind of just glances over at me. And he says, well, if you pay me $5 instead of $2, I will exchange my own $20 bill and then keep your $20 bill. And at that point, I was like, you are trying to scam me hardcore right now. But, I mean, it's so late. I'm exhausted. I'm just like, whatever. Like, I have a couple extra dollars. If it takes getting scammed to get back to my hostel and in bed, whatever. So I'm like, fine, whatever. So he ends up, you know, pulling out his own 20, switching it for mine, and then exchanging his $20 bill to get change. We go back to the hostel. He gives me my change. And this guy has the audacity to be like, oh, so do you need a tuk-tuk tomorrow? And I'm like, dude, get out of here. Like, go away. Uh, so I go into my hostel. And I have a flight leaving at like 8.30 the next morning. And so I had already arranged for a tuk-tuk, the same tuk-tuk driver to pick me up, the same tuk-tuk driver who had been taking me around in Wat to pick me up at like uh, around 5.30 in the morning. So it's pretty, it's pretty late slash early at this point, but I lay down, I go to sleep, and I wake up without an alarm. I wake up, and all of a sudden I notice that it is light inside of my hostel bedroom. And I'm sleeping next to the door, and I look over, and through the window on the door, I see the sun. And I think to myself, well... That is not good because the sun should not be up at 5.30 in the morning. I was up at 5.30 yesterday and the sun was not up. So the fact that the sun is halfway up into the sky does not bode well. Well, all of a sudden, my alarm goes off and I look at it. I'm like, it says snooze. I had been hitting snooze. And I look and my original alarm had gone off at 5 in the morning. I had been hitting snooze. It was, it was around 10.30 at this time. I'd been hitting snooze for five hours straight. Every 10 minutes for five hours, I had rolled over and hit the snooze button on my phone. To this day, I have no clue how I made that happen whatsoever. Um, but anyways, you know, at 10.30, I was like, my flight has probably already landed in Kuala Lumpur. So, you know, what's the rush? Kuala Lumpur, luckily, is a pretty big hub in Southeast Asia. I had a really long layover there. If you've listened to my... Um, Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia podcast, you know that um, I originally had planned about a 12-hour labor that got cut to about a six-hour labor. Here's the story why. Um, so I wasn't really too concerned. I was pretty annoyed, um, but I was like, whatever. So I pack, I take a tuk-tuk to the airport, and you'll never guess what happened when I arrive at the airport. My tuk-tuk driver says, oh, that's going to be $3 for your tuk-tuk ride. I hand him a um, I guess I hand him a five from the change from last night that I had such a hard time getting. And he tells me, oh, guess what? I don't have change either. And <laughs> at this point, I'm just like, okay, two times in like 12 hours, this has got, there's, there's something up here. Um, so I'm like, well, do what you got to do. But I'm not paying you $5 for a $3 tuk-tuk ride. So figure it out. So he goes across the street, exchanges the money, brings me back my change. Uh, I go into the airport. Uh, I was flying Air Asia budget of all budget airlines there in Asia. Uh, and so, of course, they're not going to help me out. They're just like, sorry, missed your flight, buy another ticket. So, luckily, I was able to pay, uh, pay like $100, I think, to get another flight to Kuala Lumpur. Um, long story short, uh, the flight was maybe like two hours later. So, I really didn't even have to wait that long. It ended up working out pretty well. And I was really just out 100 bucks altogether. Um, went to Kuala Lumpur. I had a good time there and then caught my connecting flight to Vietnam and continued on on my progression throughout this trip. Uh, so, yeah, got to be careful with Maps Me. Sometimes it might lead you astray. Um, but, you know, because of that, you, you run into some extra cool experiences. I don't know if I'd call them cool, but extra interesting um, experiences and adventures along the way. Um, so, really, I mean... That was the only flight that I missed, and stuff like that happens. I mean, you're going to miss flights. You're going to run into snags and glitches in your plans, and, you know, you can get upset about it. You can let it ruin your entire trip, or you can kind of just roll with it 
and laugh at the fact that you had to spend a couple extra hours up at night because someone had drawn a Hitler mustache on your $20 bill, you know, years ago. And they're probably just laughing wherever they're at that they had done that. And, you know, who knows how many times that's happened or hurt someone else here in the past year since I've been back. Um, so, you know, you kind of just have to enjoy the hilarious experiences um, and kind of just roll with it because what else are you going to do? Um, so that's all I've got for you today. Um, as I just mentioned, after this, I went to Vietnam, and then after that, I went to Laos and then China. I, I don't think I'm going to get all those three into one episode, um, but that's going to be what's coming up here in the future in the next week or two. Um, so be on the lookout for that. But in the meantime, remember, it is up to you to make your life interesting. So get up, get out, explore the world, and take that next adventure. Remember, if you want to check out any pictures or anything from um, these countries, check out my Instagram, at Educate Your Travel. I have stories saved for Myanmar and Cambodia. I also have pictures posted, obviously, in my feed, so you can look at those as well. Thank you so much again for joining me here today, and I cannot wait to catch up with you next time.